I'm interviewing Lubbock doctor and Texas Tech grad, Dr. Jessica Gray, on today's episode. Dr. Gray is board-certified family medicine physician for UMC Physicians and focuses on women's health and adolescent health. In addition to practicing medicine, she is a professor at the Texas Tech Health Science Center School of Medicine and is a brand new mom. We had our followers and listeners send in their questions about women's health, and Dr. Gray is providing the answers. Welcome to Moms in the Hub podcast, the one and only podcast for Lubbock moms. I share mom fells, discuss trending mom topics, and highlight amazing parents in the 806. So grab a drink and join me as we navigate motherhood in the Hub City. Make sure to leave a review and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hello, I'm your host, Danae Hooks. I'm an author, speaker, Love It Moms contributor, and chaos coordinator to three amazing kids. Welcome back, and I'm glad you're here on this Labor Day morning, and hopefully your kids are still sleeping if they're a teenager like mine. (laughs) Um, I had a really great interview with Dr. Jessica Gray, and um, I'm really excited about the discussion that we had, and we hope to have her back in the future doing more segments with us so our followers and listeners can send in some of their questions, concerns, um, you know, things that they've always wanted to ask. So it was a great interview, but I'm going to do a little catch up because there's a lot going on in our family. Uh, Sam and I have tickets, season tickets to the football games, and we have a tailgating spot. And we always try to take the kids, or Hudson and Hadley at least, to one game because we know they aren't going to last very long. So we did that this weekend, and it was a gorgeous day, great food. The hype around campus and the stadium is just, you know, unmatched right now. People are super excited about Coach McGuire, and they pulled out a big win, which was expected, but it was nice to see all of the, you know, just so many fans and everybody getting involved and just everybody really fired up. And I hope that this leads to an amazing season for our Texas Tech football team this year. And needless to say, like expected, I Hadley was not having it at the football game. She kind of got worn out at our tailgate. And so we made it to halftime. There was a lot of pouting and, you know, trying to bribe, but we were way ahead, so we knew that, you know, it was a good time to leave. So, done that. Next week, Sam and I will go solo to the game. But um, also, we are leaving tomorrow for Houston with Hannah because she has, I've talked about it before on the podcast, but she has a really, really big surgery September 20th. She will be doing spinal fusion surgery. So, this is a big deal It will drastically change her quality of life because her scoliosis is at 75 degrees right now. So um, she'll be still be in her wheelchair, of course. Um, It's not going to allow her to walk, but it's like the doctor said, it's about quality quality of life at this point. It'll get to a point where it'll hurt her lungs, her capacity, and some other organs if she continues to stay at this degree that she's in. So they will go in and do um, put steel rods down her spine. And it's a very long surgery. Um, She will be away from us for 12 hours and probably under for eight hours. So please send us some good vibes, prayers, whatever it is you do. We could use them for sure this month and next month during her recovery. 
lot going on, and especially with the first of the school year, she's going to miss school. The other kids have stuff going on, so it's just a crazy time, and I always say, you know, we just have to make it till November. That's what I've been saying since May, but I mean, in reality, we say that next week it'll be better, next week it'll be better, but it's always busy, especially in the season of life of having young kids, busy kids. This was a great episode and I hope you get a lot from it. And please follow along on all our social media pages because we will have opportunities for you to ask questions in the future that we will pose to Dr. Gray again. So we definitely want our listeners to get involved with that and, you know, send in some other ideas that you have. Those are always welcome. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. School is officially back in session and so are all of those pesky germs. UMC's brand new clinic at 98th and Frankfurt makes it easy to get your kiddos treated and back to school in no time. They have a pediatrics unit on the first floor and family medicine on the second floor, so it's super convenient for the entire family. This location is also one of the first clinics in the country to test for flu, strep, and COVID from the comfort of your car. Call them today at 806-761-0265. So I have with me today on Moms in the Hub podcast, Dr. Jessica Gray. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, Please tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey and your career. Sounds great. So as you said, my name is Jessica Gray. I am a family medicine physician. I'm board certified in family, uh, family medicine and actually work for UMC here in Lubbock. I do outpatient family medicine, and we actually have a, a emphasis on women's health. So that means that we do see a lot of women mostly in our clinic, which is great. Um, we do a lot of GYN um, care as well. So maybe you're not needing um, you know, to get pregnant anymore, and you don't need your OBGYN. A lot of the OBGYNs end up sending you over our way so that we can do pap smears, routine mammograms, those kinds of screenings. And so that just kind of fell into kind of our niche. And that's what we love to do. And I have two nurse practitioners who work with me as well. I love that because I'm at the age I had a hysterectomy last year. So, I mean, I'm done with kids, so I need to move on to the next (laughs) phase in life. Um, And women's health is so important, especially, you know, right now with all this information being thrown at us, it's very important to um, just stay on top of things, but also have good resources and good people like yourself to go to. Thank you. I think it's really, really important. I agree with you because there is so much information. We live in a day and age where everything's at our fingertips and which is great, but it also can be very bad at the same time. I think we learned that with kind of the COVID pandemic too, how much information the internet really brings us. And so it's really, really important when we talk about these things to actually be discussing it with um, knowledgeable medical providers who maybe have extra training or a background in these things. You know, there we have great people all over town, all on the internet. So, you know, there's great, great options, but you really want to investigate a little further about what are the credentials for the person you're going to and talking to them. Um, for example, for me, you know, I, I've, I've been in Lubbock more than half my life at this point in time. I feel like Lubbock raised me. I'm originally from the Dallas area, um, but I came out here for Texas Tech for undergrad, then went to medical school here, then went to residency here in the family medicine uh, department. I was chief resident there and then came on with UMC because it just felt like a, the natural progression. You know, I've been 
in touch with UMC. I, you know, I've worked through with Covenant as well, but it's just been so nice because I really grew up in this setting and knowing all of these specialists who trained me, all these OBGYNs we talk about in town um, from both hospital systems, private practice, they are actually the ones who trained me family medicine, other primary care resources. Um, they're the ones that train me and my staff. So it's been really nice. So we have that background and of knowledge of not only women's health, but the primary care setting as well. Right. Okay. I love that. Um, so Dallas compared to Lubbock, it's a different world, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. But you know, there's so many positives to being in Lubbock. Uh, I just helped you see with a recruiting video that we did to bring doctors like you know, myself from big cities like Dallas and Austin. And my husband's actually from Austin and we both love it here so much. I do too. Yeah. It's a great place. I'm from the whole country. I went to Texas state and San Marcos, but I love the small town feel, but you have everything you need. And we have such a great, you know, with our, with covenant and UMC, we have so many great options for healthcare. We definitely do. Mm-hmm. I want you to talk a little bit about you are a new mom, correct? I am. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It is probably the most exciting, most fun, most challenging thing I have ever done in my life. And I feel like I get to say that because med school was not easy and neither was residency. Um, But this is, if I could say one thing, I think this is actually the thing I've accomplished in my life that I'm most proud of. And it's my, um, I have a 16 month old little son and he is just the light of my life. I love that. And I was going to say the same thing. Yes, you can. If you can say that's the hardest thing and go through medical school, then your your opinion is very on point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get to some of these questions because our listeners uh, from Moms in the Hub podcast with Lubbock Moms is 92% women in the Lubbock area ages 28 to 58. So, I mean, that's the age of women that have all these questions ranging from your period um, troubles to um, hysterectomy to menopause. So we have an array of questions that came in from different ages. So I'm going to go ahead and start with those. Sounds great. So one of the first questions is, why did my period go from manageable to unmanageable after kid number two? So I like this question because I get this a lot with patients that come in and see me. You know, pain, with, I'll just caveat that with pain with your period always needs to be discussed with a provider, um, whether it's your OBGYN, your primary care, your family medicine doctor, internal medicine, wherever you want to talk to them about it, wherever you feel most comfortable, we need to talk about pain or changes in your period. There are some natural changes that happen, um, you know, as we just get older in general. And so there are some that may not be normal, and that's what we need to find out. So first and foremost, always make sure you're talking to your provider about what your symptoms are. But when we're talking about, um, you know, postpartum changes, you know, after maybe the first or second kid, there are some things that we talk about that are a little different. One thing that is very common and that some of these women may find out when they do go to their doctor and get a workup is that sometimes there could be a reason for maybe a little bit heavier, crampier, or longer bleeding. Some of these things are related to there's something called fibroids, which may be really common. You may have heard of that before. They're completely benign, meaning not cancerous, nothing bad. Yes, they're considered a tumor, but it's benign. They grow inside the uterus. So you can have more than one. And there's mm-hmm. different areas that they grow inside the uterus. But they can be, um, they can make your bleeding longer, heavier. They can also cause some kind of some pelvic pressure because it actually can make the uterus enlarge where you actually can enlarge to the size of you know, pregnancy, maybe not third trimester, that's not that size, but it could be, you know, a first, second trimester pregnancy, and that can be uncomfortable as it presses on other organs. So that's something that, you know, we see on ultrasound and we would look for as we get older, um, 20s, 30s, 40s, actually the incidence of these 
fibroids becomes more and more. So a fibroid may be causing your heavier, crampier periods or your longer bleeding cycles. We talk all the time in my clinic after we confirm it's a fibroid, it's not anything dangerous or worrisome. We talk about hormonal methods to control that bleeding or help with the fibroid. There are surgical methods as well to remove a fibroid if you do desire maybe that third kid, um, because sometimes a fibroid may also cause some infertility issues as well. There's, you know, a fibroid might be one of the reasons you may have crampier pain. If you talk to some other OBGYNs or other providers, they may talk to you and say, there's been some studies that show that after you have a baby, your, your uterus is a little bit larger. That's a proven fact, but it also kind of knows how to contract a little bit better. So mm -hmm. those can, the little contractions, not true contractions like in pregnancy, but the crampiness that you feel with your periods may be a little more intense because your uterus knows what it's doing now. It's, you know, had a baby inside of it. It's stretched. It, it knows what it's doing. That makes a lot of sense now that you say that. I've dealt with fibroids before mm -hmm. and I ended up having a hysterectomy because I had adenomyosis, mm -hmm. which, you know, you couldn't diagnose till after the fact till they sent it off. But I had a lot of issues after children. So yeah, that makes complete sense hearing that. I'm glad, you know, there's so many different things that can cause it. So it's always a good thing to talk with your, you know, OBGYN or your family medicine doctor about what is causing your specific symptoms. Goes into the next question, which you touched on, you know, when should I see a doctor? What are some things that jump out at you? So there's the first one that I always think of, because again, I, you know, in med school residency, the biggest red flag is uh, if you have somebody that's already gone through menopause and they have any bleeding afterwards, the definition of menopause is 12 months without a period. So let's say you go, you know, no periods for 10 months, fabulous 10 months of no periods, nothing going on and you get a period, start it back over again. So it's got to be 12 months fully without a period before you're considered postmenopausal in that menopausal time. So you could have lots of menopausal symptoms before that in that perimenopausal time where periods are longer, heavier, all sorts of things are happening with that, which we can talk about later too. But if you start having bleeding after menopause, let's say you went through menopause at 50, you're now 54 and you start having bleeding, that is not normal ever. That always has to be investigated um, because there are risks for things like uterine cancer. So that's my biggest red flag. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, so not as, not as scary stuff, you know, kind of depending on age, if we're in our thirties, um, you know, we're talking about risks for cancers. That's one that everyone always worries about when you think of um, abnormal bleeding and stuff, there is an increased risk as we get a little bit older. And so bleeding, you know, duration longer than maybe 10 days or having really short cycles back to back, maybe something that we definitely need, you know, should talk to at least about with our doctor. Um, they may need to do something, you know, if we start with an ultrasound, then something called an endometrial biopsy to take a little sample of the lining and make sure it's normal. There's all some different things that we look at with that. So in your thirties, that's something to talk about. And then when we're talking about the opposite problem, when you are skipping periods. Now, if you skip one month of a period and we're not pregnant, maybe it was a really stressful month some things were going on um, and we're not on birth control. This is all without any kind of birth control and you skipped one month, maybe not as worrisome. But if you're continuously skipping three months at a time with your periods, we really need to make sure what's going on. That could be a sign of PCOS and that needs to be investigated. When we don't have periods, again, this is periods without birth control. Sometimes we take birth control to make it so we don't have a period. But if we're not having periods, that is a big red flag because that can um, cause some increased risk for some other issues as well, including things like uterine cancer. So that's something we definitely look into as well. So too many periods and not enough periods. We got to investigate it. 
Okay. Um, speaking of birth control, um, that was without birth control. I had several mothers ask, what's our options for permanent birth control when we're done having kids? Great question. So we talk about permanent birth control. Usually we're talking about sterilization. So that's going to be, um, you know, a bilateral tubal ligation, which is the fancy words for tying your tubes. Um, that is about, you know, greater than 98% effective. Then a hysterectomy. Well, we took out the uterus completely. That's obviously very, very effective. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get the bilateral tubal ligation, when you, they tie your tubes, they can also remove your um, tubes as well. It's called a salpingectomy. When they remove the tubes, that actually has the added benefit, we think, in most recent studies, that it may reduce the risk of ovarian cancer as well. So some OBGYNs are actually opting when they do the surgery to not just tie the tubes, but actually remove the physical tube as well during that surgery. So there are, you know, when you're talking about surgeries, it's more your more permanent options. When we're um, talking about maybe less invasive options for permanent uh, um, things, there is a non-truly surgical, which is a procedure that some OBGYNs do um, that is kind of like a um, procedural tubal that they can do. It's called an Esher that can go in and they can put a little, they put some, this little coil that goes inside the fallopian tubes and it makes it so it, uh, they're blocked permanently. So there are some options if maybe you are a really poor surgical candidate, maybe there's some reason you can't have surgery. There's some other options too. And then of course, or probably the one that's the easiest on you as the mom um, and the woman, it would be a vasectomy for your partner. Yes. I'm all for that. <laughs> I'm all for that too. I talked to my moms a lot about it. Maybe they're just, you know, I just, they say, you know, I'm the one that carried the babies and had all the pain, you know, and I'd always say, well, have the guys, you know, do their part. My husband did it after our third child and it was, it was easy. So, yes, it is. I mean, it's, it's not, if you, you birthed those babies and you did all that hard work and you've had periods since what, 12 years old, yeah. I think that, you know, they can do their part. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree with that. And I think most guys like to do it like, during March madness so they can sit on the couch and watch. <laughs> That's a good option. I haven't yeah. suggested that to anybody. That's when my I, husband I, did it. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> okay. So birth control, you know, if it's not permanent, if you're not sure if you're done having kids, what are some options? So there's lots of options with that. And so picking what option works best for you is an individual decision. And it may not be for the same reasons for everybody. A lot of times we talk about f- efficacy. So how effective is it as preventing um, pregnancy? Maybe that's your most important to you. You're like, I'm just no right now. I don't want to have any more kids, but maybe I just want to preserve that fertility for the future. So if we're talking about the most effective options, some of something called LARCs, long acting reversible contraception are the best options. These are things like IUDs. So we talk about like the Mirena or the Skyla, those are great options. Um, or the Nexplanon, which is a little device that we has progesterone only that we put in the arm that lasts three years. And you can get those repeated. If you have your IUD in place, the Mirena lasts for five years. Let's say you want to take that out, still don't want to have kids, put another one back in, not a problem at all, can easily be switched out and continued. Same thing with the next one on, 99.9% effective, put it in the arm, leave it in there, remove it, put in three years, put another one back in, keep going the same way. Both of these options, let's say you put it in and you're on year two and a half of having them in and you say, we're ready, it's time to have another kid. Both can be easily taken out in an office procedure. So it's not something that requires surgery or anything. And then you can get pregnant fairly easily usually after taking those out. (laughs) Oh, good to know. (laughs) Yeah. 
And then of course there's other reversible options. You know, we talk about things like the Depo-Provera injection, which is a shot that's about 96% effective, lasts for three months at a time. That one can delay ovulation up to 12 months um, in studies. And so, you know, that one may delay, just having that in mind, that might delay it a little bit, but you've okay. got birth control pills, 93% affected, Nuva rings, patches. Um, and then a lot of people very commonly ask about what are my non-hormonal options? They say, you know, the pill was not my friend. What are my non-hormonal options? Of course, condoms, 87% effective. Um, there's a Paragard IUD. Um, mm -hmm. That one is an IUD with copper only. That if you already have pretty crampy, heavy bleeding periods, that's probably not going to be a great choice for you. It does tend to make periods heavier. And um, okay. so that's just a, everyone always wants to know about the non-hormonal IUD option. I know, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but there's a commercial with, um, I think Kaylee Cuoco talking about a non-hormonal birth control option that you can use just when you want to. Oh yes, and you I can think buy it. That. Yeah. Yes. It's basically a spermicide, which spermicides have been around forever. And so, um, you know, those are about 79% effective. So that's not, you know, if we're talking about grades in school, that's probably not our ideal goal for that. So again, if your goal is maybe not to, um, your most top priority is not, you're okay with maybe getting pregnant on accident. You're just not actively trying. And you're like, Hey, 79% sounds good to me or the withdrawal method, which is about 80%. If you're okay with that, having getting pregnant, then maybe those are good options for you as well for a non-hormonal one. Okay. And I love what you said about the, the shot, like you still could not ovulate for up to a year. So that's important for women to know if they expect that they're going to get pregnant when they get off of it. And that may not be happening. So I had no idea about that. Now I had an IUD between kids one and two, and I had it taken out, I think at year two. Um, but my doctor wouldn't give me one before I had a child. Is there a reason for that? Yes. So it's not necessarily you can't have an IUD before you've delivered a baby. It's because they're much more difficult to insert. Before we ever have a baby, um, your cervix is very, very small and, you know, it's never had a baby come through it. So putting something through it, through the cervix into the uterus can be extremely uncomfortable for you. Okay. Now it can be done. And they're actually, um, in this day and age, we have smaller IUDs that are kind of more ideal. One called the Skyla, um, that we would use for women who've never had a baby before. I have, uh, I haven't personally had one, but I've had multiple friends that have had one, um, you know, get them put in med school residency, you know, trying to get through that process. And I will tell you, they've all said it was extremely uncomfortable okay. <laughs> to get it done, but it's, um, you know, if that's, if that's an option, you know, you can't remember to take pills or these other options don't sound great. There are options. You can get it. It's just a lot easier to put in once the cervix has opened before because you have to put it through the cervix to get into the uterus and stay in there. Okay. I was on the pill for years and you hear all these different things like research or other people's opinions and stuff. And they say it's, it's not good or it is good to be on hormones for that long. What is, I mean, what, what do you say? So the nice thing about this one is that um, this, there's actually so much research to back this one up. The problem is you don't hear about these true controlled research studies on TikTok and Instagram reels and all that business. You hear about everybody talking about how birth control right. does all these things and these you know anecdotal stories. So there is no evidence. And in fact, the reproductive endocrinolo uh, endocrinology and infertility doctors, so your REI doctors, those are the ones that you know may study do fellowships, um, know how to do IVF and all of that stuff. They're really, really high complex fertility care. They are the ones that have helped look at all these studies. And we know that hormonal birth control methods do not cause infertility. 
They also do not increase the risk of things like ovarian cancer. In fact, they have shown that the birth control pill, we believe, may decrease the risk of ovarian cancer. Now, um, you know, plenty of people say, oh, I, you know, I had trouble getting pregnant. I think I've shared with you guys before, too. I had a lot of trouble getting pregnant with my son. And um, we actually did have to do IVF. It was many, many, many years of a process, um, high risk pregnancy, all of this stuff. So this is my passion is truly trying to dispel some of these myths about birth control affecting and those things. But when we are emotional, as I would be, too, you know, we look to try to blame, you know, maybe infertility issues on some of those things. Right. Yeah, that makes sense completely. You hear about more and more people having trouble getting pregnant, right? Or doing IVF, going through the process. Is that because we're more open to talking about it now? Or do you think like environmental factors and different things are affecting that? So it's really interesting that um, I've talked with some of my uh, REI doctors about this and stuff in the past, and everybody's individually different. What my, my issues are completely different than maybe somebody else's issue. The incidence of things like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which can affect infertility, have increased a bit. Um, we do see that it is related to things like weight as well. So the um, obesity epidemic is a thing. And so as our weight increases, it can have an effect on our fertility. Um, it can put us at increased risk for things like PCOS as well, or, you know, just miss, you know, not being able to ovulate correctly. Things that we're eating, I, I've heard rumors about them talking about things like certain plastics. I mean, I've read all those books. There's a lot out there. The things that talk about plastics and the things that talk about, um, dairy products and things like that. There's not a ton of really well controlled evidence that supports those theories right now. You know, there are some certain diets. If you have like PCOS, a gluten-free or a low dairy diet has been shown to help ovulation in those patients. So there are some dietary things that can control that, but yes, I think some of it also is we're talking about it more. And I think that's great. And um, I think that is something that we should be happy to be able to feel comfortable talking about and sharing our stories with each other so that women don't feel alone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know I've, my friends, I have multiple that have gone through IVF or different processes. And, you know, it's so important that we talk about it because you might find a group of women that can share their their stories and things that they may have done or, you know, just kind of give the give hope to more women that are going through this too. I think that is extremely important too, because it can be, and speaking from experience, it can be an extremely lonely, you know, experience that you, you know, a lot of people blame themselves or feel really, you know, what have I done wrong? And I'll tell you, most of the women who suffer with infertility, man, they would be great mamas and they, they want those babies so, so, so badly. So um, it is amazing when they are able to have that baby for sure, but having some support and even my own friends personally, who are doctors and we all went to med school together and they're not necessarily even you know, REIs or OBGYNs, but maybe they're cardiologists or pediatricians, they rallied around me when I went through this process. And even then we all said, we, we studied this in school. We had no idea the emotional, physical things that go into when we talk about fertility. Right. And I mean, you're a doctor, you have more knowledge than most people, but your, your emotions, that doesn't account for your emotions that you're going through it. So yes, no, absolutely. So if, if you know a friend that's struggling, just, you know, send them flowers. I mean, that, that is one of the nicest things I've ever had somebody do is just say, I've been thinking about you and it could be grocery store flowers that, you know, you just picked up on the way out saying you're there for somebody is so important. Yes. Yes, it is. West Texas largest consignment sale is back this fall and is bigger and better than ever. 
Whether you are a first-time mom or a seasoned one, the Just Between Friends consigner event has thousands of items to choose from to meet your growing kiddos' needs at a majorly discounted price. You can stock up on cold weather clothes, newborn essentials, Texas Tech gear, Halloween costumes, and everything in between. The event runs from September 14th to 18th at the Civic Center and has multiple opportunities for you to shop early to get the best items. Head to lubbock.jbfcell.com or click on the link in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about weight gain because I know this is a subject I definitely want to talk about. I've, I've personally struggled to get my weight off since my second one and then I got pregnant with a third, so that didn't help. But um, I turned 40 this year. I had a hysterectomy last year. What do you do with post like hysterectomy weight or hormonal weight or whatever? This one is the one that in family medicine we deal with a lot. Okay. And so I, people come in all the time. And they say, can you check my hormones? Check my hormones. I think like check my hormones must be like one of the things I hear all the time. Yeah. <laughs> check my hormones. And so, you know, first off, if you go to your doctor, ask them to check your hormones, they should have a discussion with you about what does that mean? What hormones do we check? Your body has hundreds of different hormones. We don't just check hormones. And a lot of times as women, we're talking about the menstrual cycle related hormones. But especially if you're still having periods, things like randomly checking your progesterone and estrogen, unless we know exactly what cycle day you're on in your period, what other factors, you know, how many, what's your length of your cycle, a bunch of different factors, you know, they're not at, they don't give us as much information as we wish they did. It's not as simple as, oh, we checked your estrogen. It's on the lower side. Let's replace it. And there's a lot more Mm -hmm. factors that go into that. But the check your hormones is one of those big things a lot of people ask. When we talk about weight gain, hysterectomy, it's important to define what hysterectomy means too. A lot of patients come in and they say, well, I've had a, I've had a partial hysterectomy or I've had a total hysterectomy. Hysterectomy is a surgery that removes just the uterus. So it doesn't, leaves the ovaries completely in there. A complete hysterectomy is taking out the uterus and the cervix. Partial hysterectomies, which are very out of favor these days, they don't usually do them. They only do them in certain situations where they leave the cervix are not very common, but this doesn't refer to the ovaries. So when the uterus itself is removed, it actually shouldn't have a significant effect on your hormones, weight, any of those things, because your ovaries are still there. And what we end, what's ended up happening is actually it's more related to our age. As we get older, our metabolism does have some changes and there have been, <laughs> I, know, I don't know if that. I'm going to give you the best, uh, <laughs> like the top secret solution. Cause I had it, you know, trust me, I'd be, you know, super famous, um, but it really goes down to the basics. And so our metabolism, as we get older does change. And there are a lot of, um, lifestyle factors that affect that as well. Um, we are not as busy and don't have as much time for ourselves exercise. You know, we're not in the gym like we were in our twenties, but they, it does show that as we get older, either. So I think it's about, uh, what is it? we're looking, I was looking at a number for you earlier today, but it was in, is in kilograms. So it was like 2.12 kilograms are gained per 10 years or so, which that's 2.2. It's about five pounds basically is what we're talking about. And the biggest things that we're talking about as we get older, a deficit of like a hundred calories, let's say you eat X amount of calories, but you're only expending, you know, um, say you're eating 2000 calories, but you're expending less than that. You need to have a little bit of a deficit there. It needs to be over a hundred, even that small amount. Mm -hmm. So studies have showed that are really, really controlled that we may think we're doing all this exercise and energy and eating right. But if we really sit down there and look at it, there's probably some still room for improvement, which just focuses on why it's so important. When I talk to my patients, I tell them that weight management is probably 
of what you're eating and your intake and about 20% of what you're actually doing physically to lose that weight because our, our bodies change as we get older, it's more important. We're not, we'll never be our 18 year old, um, you know, whatever double zero size pants or whatever, you know, they, somebody might've been in middle school or something too. <laughs> I guess I need to throw those away. <laughs> <laughs> I know, trust me, we all have those same dresses and pants. We're like, we are going to make these work from high school, yeah. but, and that's not a bad goal if that works for you, but also we don't need to be making unrealistic expectations You've got to think about yourself at 18. Were you the same person you are now? Did you have, had you birthed a baby necessarily? Our hips get a little wider after we have kids. When we go through menopause, um, there is some weight gain that's associated with it. It's not necessarily due to decreased estrogen, but it can be related to one of the other hormones and FSH level that increases. And so on that, I think that maybe something you're asking later is that estrogen replacement doesn't exactly make it so you don't gain weight either. So it may help because as we get older, fat distributes in different places. And so I feel like that's something everybody kind of is like, well, my hips feel a little different. My thighs are different. And that's, that does happen. Their fat goes in different places as we get older. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Not the answer <laughs> I wanted to hear. No. <laughs> I know. I trust me too. I want, I want a much better answer. And, you know. <laughs> no, but you're right. I, I have a trainer and she, she says the same thing. 80% is what goes into your body. And I'm making progress, but once you really write down what you're eating, you're like, oh, wow, I'm actually eating more than I thought I was. That's great to hear. I mean, that's, and that's why I tell my patients, I guess um, I have, I'm not paid by this app, but I use the MyFitnessPal app for my patients all the time, just to say, use it as a log. Don't necessarily use it like at first to diet mm -hmm. with, just lose it. I say one week, log everything. Don't try to diet, just do what you're doing. And then in the, at the weekend or something, or the week later, go back and look and say, oh, I'm a mm -hmm. snacker. Or, you know, that's where those extra calories are adding in. Or it's my um, coffee creamer is really throwing me off because if you drink four cups of coffee and all the sugar is going in it. Or Starbucks on your way to work, you're like, I just can't live with my, out with my caramel mm -hmm. macchiato, whatever. <laughs> you can see that you're like, okay, if I just took that one thing out, out of that, that day, your, your whole, um, your whole amount of calorie content consumed would change. Absolutely. And that wine, I need to stop drinking that. Wine. <laughs> <Bad>. <laughs> well, and then I would compare my healthy whole foods that I was eating, you know, versus, versus my non-healthy stuff. And I was like, well, I could actually have a lot more whole foods than I could the unhealthy stuff. So that's so true. Yeah. Okay. So one particular person um, asked an, on the Facebook page, um, hair loss post hysterectomy. Yeah. So I kind of touched on this before, so I won't go too, too much into it, but if you haven't had your ovaries removed, there really shouldn't be a lot of hair loss related to a hysterectomy itself. Um, if you're losing hair, you need to go talk to your doctor and find out there's something else going on. Thyroid issues, you know, even blood sugar issues, um, sometimes even more dermatologic things like psoriasis on the scalp. There can be reasons that you may be losing hair that are different and not related to your hormones at all. So go talk to your doctor. That's a very individualized thing as well. Um, don't just, you know, try taking a bunch of biotin and, you know, hair, skin and nail supplements, go, go talk to them and then have reasonable expectations. Because as we get older, our hair does start to thin. We've all seen grandma and her lots thinner hair. We don't have as long of hair. Usually we kind of get a little shorter, a little thinner. Some of that is um, natural with the aging process. Okay. Yeah. And hereditary too, right? It can be. Yes. Yes. There's some hereditary components as well. And then also think about what we do to our hair, coloring it, straightening it, curling it, all those fun stuff we do years and years and years of that. Um, you know, it, it does have an effect on the hair. You should ask your hairstylist. They know. <laughs> I want to hit on supplements before we end this, because 
that seems to be a huge trend. And I, for one, am so confused with all of the information on Instagram. I see ads pop up and I'm like, what am I supposed to be taking? Like post hysterectomy, perimenopause, menopause, or, you know, in your twenties, what are we supposed to be taking and what ages are we supposed to be taking it at? Really good question. And in fact, my sister-in-law asked me this not that long ago too. I don't know if you're going to love my answer to this one either. Um, a lot of what I'm talking about too, I mean, I don't make any money off of any of this stuff. So maybe talking to somebody else who sells products and stuff would be different. I right. go just literally on what we call evidence-based medicine. So when we're talking about, let's say you are in your 40s, 50s, you're talking about in that perimenopausal or postmenopausal stage, 100% you should be on vitamin D and calcium, unless there's a reason told by your doctor that you should not be on those. Um, you should have a daily consumption of about 1200 milligrams of calcium that whether that's through a supplement or let's say you love milk, cheese, things like that through dietary as well for vitamin D, usually about 600 to 800 IUs it doesn't come in milligrams. Really. We focus more on IUs a day is also helpful. And this is good for prevention of things like osteopenia and osteoporosis, which is the thinning of the bones, which can lead to fractures. So all women we talk about that are perimenopausal time, postmenopausal should be on a calcium and vitamin D supplement. When we're talking about our thirties and twenties, you really don't need to be unless there's an underlying issue. When we're talking about, um, let's say you're anemic or you have really heavy periods that make you anemic, being on an iron supplement as told by your doctor, may be something you need. My biggest caveat is people come in and they've got a list of supplements. It's like 10 pages long. And I think they're spending thousands of dollars on these things. They always come in and they're still mad because they're like, they're not working. I mean, they really um, sell you in those ads. <laughs> they do. Oh my gosh. I know they do. I mean, I'm the same. I'm a human too. As I talk about all the other stuff, I'm a human too. I get to the Instagram ads too. And I'm like, man, that slim, whatever sounds great, but they're really, really not. There's, if there's a magic pill, there wouldn't be so many, right? Not everybody would be selling it if we had the right solution. But one caveat I have is I get nervous when some people come in because vitamin D has been all the rage, especially with COVID and stuff, because there are some studies that it affects the immune system and about 40% of the country has a low vitamin D level. So that is something you can talk to your doctor about sun exposure, 15 minutes of sun a day can actually help that um, up for your sunscreen as well. But um, there are some supplements that have some serious harm potential if taken into um, high amounts. One of them is one of them is vitamin D. I've had people come in that are just taking bottles of vitamin D and we tell them how dangerous it can be. The other supplements that are really potentially dangerous, and we're talking about they could actually cause life-threatening complications in too high of amounts are vitamin A and D, E and K. Um, it's one of those things in med school, we kind of learned an acronym for all of it, but uh, all dogs eat kibble. <laughs> but A, D, E, and K are the ones that I tell my patients, I'm like, if you want to take a B12 injection, you want to take a B12 vitamin and it makes you feel better, fine. But if your body doesn't truly need it, you're not anemic, there's not a, you don't have a true B12 deficiency, like pernicious anemia or these other issues um, as prescribed by your doctor, then you actually just urinate out. The, that extra B12. Oh. And so it's the reason why it's really safe. Um, when you go to all these places and you get your B12 shots, it's why it's not really regulated. They just take your cash and they're like, yeah, I love my B12. I feel better. I have friends that love them and they think they make them feel great. I've, I have friends that do. And um, I've tried it before. It didn't really make me feel better, but um, I think it's where if you can try it, but if there's too much in your body, that is nice that it's, um, it's not fat soluble. Like the other ones is it's water soluble. So it, it goes, you, you, Urinated okay, out. that's good to know because I've I've done the B12, like paid for the monthly B12 <laughs> before. 
I know we're getting close on time, but um, I do have a big one, collagen. Like I see collagen everywhere. I actually have some I'm waiting on in the mail. Like what, what is the <laughs> thing about collagen? Is it, is it just a trend or, you know, do we need it at this age? So don't make me break your heart, <laughs> but collagen doesn't have a lot of strong evidence that it is something that we say we're missing in our body. That's necessary oral, like taking collagen or drinking collagen, um, is not necessarily something that we say, Oh, you have a collagen deficiency. This is going to help with your fatigue or your skin or things like that. Again, the most, the most basic, well-studied things are sometimes the most frustrating because those are the ones that, you know, are the hardest. So think, you know, tips for keeping down wrinkles and things like that. Yes. You know, sunscreen's your best friend. It was probably when we should have started it back in our twenties, we are in college and not definitely not wearing it. Yes. So things like that, um, you know, reducing sun exposure is going to be the biggest one for that. But I have, I have good friends. I have good friends that are fitness into fitness trainers and stuff, and they do love their college and they like it. It's not going to harm you again. So that's one of those ones that's safer. And that's why it's so easily available to purchase. Mm -hmm. But I mean, maybe we don't need to spend as much money on it. <laughs> yeah, don't, I tell my patients whenever they find something that they swear you buy, I just say, just don't spend thousands of dollars on it. Don't make it so that something that you know, you're giving something else up for, or, you know, it's taking away from your kids or something else you really enjoy or missing out on that vacation for something like that. And again, talk with your doctor about it because there are some people that are specific conditions that they actually do need some certain supplements, ones we haven't even mentioned. Um, and that's a different category. Okay. Yeah. What about the pellet? Because I do have friends that do the pellet and I've been thinking about doing it. Is that something, you know, at my age 40, that is, is a great thing? You know, you got something I talked to your doctor about. The pellets are kind of a, a fad right now, for sure. They've, they've been around for a little while. Um, they, the thing I don't like about the pellets, and I know this, this may get some flack, is that once they're in, they're in. So um, it's a little bit better to be able to control it. I have patients that come in with their pellets and they come in because they've had the testosterone put in. We check some of their lab values and they're off the charts and not in a good way. Some of the ways that may actually have some potential for harm in the body. And I wish that I could be like, well, let's just take it out and reduce the dose, but you really can't. So that's the only reason why pellets are a little, make me a little nervous. They're another form of hormone replacement therapy that needs to be talked about with your, with your provider, OBGYN or your um, primary care doctor. The thing with the hormone replacement therapy in general is it's not without consequence. Any kind of estrogen containing hormone replacement therapy can increase your risk for breast cancer, blood clots, things like that. So there are people who are definite right. not candidates for these things. People with strong family histories of breast cancer, histories of blood clots themselves or in the family. You've, you've, pellets are very popular right now, so I'm not against them. And I have lots of patients with them, but it just needs to have a really in-depth discussion with probably your primary care doctor about them. Someone that knows your history and really knows if it's the right thing for you. Exactly. So what I'm hearing from you mostly today is, I mean, nothing new but something we all need to hear is that a good healthy diet whole foods exercise living a healthy life is probably like the number one thing that we can do and then of course if there's like pains and things that don't seem right definitely see your doctor absolutely i think that's number one sometimes the hardest things are going to be the most effective in our lives and i think we know that from a lot of different things um, from raising kids to, you know, our health and our weight and stuff, the most effective things sometimes don't come super easily. So right. talk with your doctor and find what fits best for you. Yes. There's not a magic pill, ladies. I there just want to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would, I would do it too. <laughs> I know. Right. Yes. Yes. We'd all be rich and famous. <laughs> well, is there anything else you want to say before we end this, this wonderful interview that we had? 
Thank you so much again for having me on the show. It was really a pleasure getting to talk with you. I love Moms in the Hub and the Lubbock Moms group completely. It is always fun to get to sit down and talk about my passions as a doctor, as a woman, and as a mom. So I really, really enjoyed it. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Moms in the Hub podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it on Instagram and don't forget to tag us. Have a wonderful week. Today's episode is brought to you by UMC Health Systems. Call or go online today to let UMC meet all of your health care needs.